Hey everyone, uh, this is Mike. Um, before we get started, uh, just wanted to acknowledge that this has been a really terrible week for Star Trek. Uh, we recorded this episode in which we are going to be discussing Showtime on Monday, and then on Tuesday we lost Maurice Hurley, who, for those of you who don't know, was the executive producer of Star Trek The Next Generation during its first two seasons. He was um, very, very influential in shaping that show into what it became and uh, was the writer of many episodes of those first two seasons, including Q Who. He created the Borg. So that's obviously freaking huge. And uh, we were going to talk about that uh, next week, but then... Um, today, Friday, uh, Leonard Nimoy passed away as well, as I'm sure everyone's aware, and he is obviously um, probably one of the most influential people on the franchise. He is the face of Star Trek, I think everyone can agree, and uh, obviously this is, you know, really sad news, and... Uh, you know, we just thought that we should acknowledge this since, you know, this was an episode that we recorded before all of this stuff happened. Um, and next week, we will be taking a break from William Shatner to discuss both Leonard Nimoy and Maurice Hurley and just sort of look at everything that they've done, both inside and outside of Star Trek. And after we're done with our, our Shatner series, we are going to do proper, full uh, retrospectives on, on both Leonard Nimoy and Maurice Hurley's careers. But uh, in the meantime, perhaps as a way of uh, taking a break from, from this incredibly terrible day and all of its sadness, here is the three of us discussing... William Shatner's work in Showtime, which is one of his most uh, effective comedic roles, without a doubt. The movie may not be that great. He is hilarious in it. So if you need a good laugh, check out Showtime for sure. And, uh, and, and hopefully, you know, this episode can help to, to brighten your week. So without further ado, on with the show. This is J.G. Hertz, the General Martok on Deep Space Nine, and you're listening to Trek FM. Hello and welcome to Season 6, Episode 15. Is it 15? I, maybe seventeen, season six, episode seventeen. Okay, season five, episode seventeen. Season five. Live long and prosper. Episode seventeen. <laughs> season five, episode seventeen of Commentary Trek Stars, a show which deals with the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. I'm Mike. I'm John. And I'm Max. And today is the fourth part in our series on William Shatner, where we are looking at 
uh, his work in the Shatner Cinematic Universe, where he plays himself. And today's movie is the third movie in the Shatner Cinematic Universe, or the SCU, if you want, if you prefer. Showtime. Now, this movie is interesting, chronologically speaking, in that it came out one week after the second movie in the Shatner Cinematic Universe, which was Festival in Cannes. And um, it was directed by Tom Day, who I believe did Shanghai Noon, amongst some other things. And it stars Robert De Niro and Eddie Murphy. Um, John, do you want to give a sort of synopsis of this movie? Sure. Uh, Eddie Murphy is a cop who wants to be an actor. And Robert De Niro is a tough, by-the-numbers cop who gets the job done and has a an unfortunate run-in caused by Eddie Murphy with a camera crew, which, much like a Seinfeld type of sitcom idea, leads to them being paired up on a reality show where they go around and solve crimes for real. Yes. Now, um, do you guys remember when this movie came out? I do. Uh, it's the early aughts, right? It was. Yeah. It was March of 2002. Max and I were working at a movie theater together, and I believe we watched it together. Yes, I believe we, so, too. We previewed it. And I remember I was really looking forward to it, at least, because even back then, I was thinking, this is the next chapter in the Shatner Cinematic Universe. <laughs> to be fair, I hadn't seen Festival in Cannes, but I, I could not wait for this movie. As I recall, this was maybe the second time you ever used that star made of cardboard that said co-starring oh William Shatner on the poster at the theater. I, I forgot about Mike, the star. Mike forgot about the star, apparently. But for, oh but for like over 10 years, there was a tiny little construction paper star that... I don't think it was actually you who wrote it. I think it was Josh that wrote it, because I think it was his handwriting. But it said co-starring William Shatner, and we literally put it on every movie that William Shatner was in. It was we, we, really not a healthy activity to do. It was the best. Uh, do you remember what the other star we had was? I believe it was Bruce Campbell. It was Bruce Campbell, Yes, which we first put on for Serving Sarah. Um which is pretty awesome. I yeah. I, I mean, yes, yes. You're you're right. We totally had that. Now, I believe that uh, Miss Congeniality was the first one. That sounds right. Um, if not, it was the it was the second one. No, I'm pretty sure that Miss Congeniality was the first, I, and then this was the second. But I believe that Miss Congeniality <sighs> was the thing that made it happen because I think I was in the room when it happened. Yeah, I mean, it's like one of those things where you need to... I, I know for... Yeah, no, Miss Congeniality... Yeah, because Miss Congeniality 2 came out in 2005. So Miss Congeniality 1 came out in 2000. So that was definitely the first one. Yeah. And then, yeah, and then we just kept on going with that. Um, and for... I'm still uh, amazed that we managed to keep track of it for all that time. <laughs> I, yeah, I have to look in... Uh, I've got a box of stuff that I, I pulled out of the office over there. I've got to see if I have it. I'm pretty sure I've got the Bruce Campbell one at least. Mm -hmm. But, oh my God, I can't believe I forgot that. Because <laughs> there was that, and then we also had the poster of William Shatner hanging up in the booth. Yes. Which 
had the quote, which was going to change week to week, but ended up just sticking with the same thing for it 10 did, years. It did totally change week to week twice. Yes, and then we, we came upon what, what does, does God, God need? need with a starship. And it's oh. like, you can't get a better quote than that, right? No, yeah, that's it. You got it. Yeah. We also had a William Shatner statue sitting on our desk. The moral of the story is that that's we are not all... healthy people. No, we no, no. I think this activities. is co- I think this is completely healthy. I really do. <laughs> this is exactly what uh young men should be doing with their time. Not not going out and socializing at clubs or bars or anything like that. They should be building little miniature shrines to William Shatner. I, I well, endorse this. Well, hold on, to hold be, on. We to didn't be fair. build any miniature shrines. We bought them at stores. Brilliant. And, and, you know, I mean, but we were also trying to help the company bring in people. I mean, if I were to walk mm. by a poster for Showtime and I didn't know what it was about and I saw a starburst, as we called them, that said co-starring William Shatner, I would then buy a ticket for that movie. Oh, sure. Sold. I mean, is, there's no one who wouldn't, right? Anyway, <laughs> the point is we're fans of William Shatner, I guess, right? I think that's yeah. pretty be- well established, yeah. And because of this, we were very much, or at least I was very much looking forward to Showtime when it came out because um, it starred William Shatner as himself. Yeah. I mean, what could be better, right? And it's got William Shatner going up against Robert De Niro acting-wise. That's pretty impressive, right? Yeah, it's a pairing that I don't think anybody ever anticipated happening. I think that's a fair statement. Yeah. And he totally holds his own. No? He does, actually. I, I will say that uh, this movie is something of a mess. Uh, very obviously, you know, sort of like they couldn't really decide which direction to go at certain points. But Shatner's appearance in it is, it's really pure joy. I mean, it's a guy that's just absolutely thrilled to just have an opportunity to be in front of the camera again. And it's so much fun to watch him. Okay, let's let's actually, let's let's hold off on that for a second, you know, because you... Sure. You you did the thing which I guess we should be doing, bringing up the movie. Who cares? <laughs> so so let me ask ask you, Max, what do you think about Showtime as a movie? Um. Well, I when we were ramping up to do this, I kept putting off watching it because I remember a very long time has gone by without me watching it primarily because my reaction to this movie was it's a complete train wreck it's really not funny there's a lot of humor in it that just does not work it's and it's one of those things where i kind of feel bad for everyone involved because everyone is better than they are in this but there is that one part where like shatner shows up and it's like is this a are we watching a different movie now where it's really good? Because there is that brief window of time where it's like firing on all its various, you know, metaphorical figurative cylinders. And uh, and that was pretty impressive. But for the most part, um, I really don't like seeing Eddie Murphy not being funny or not succeeding in being funny. Because I'm okay with him being dramatic. But when he's trying to be funny in a false flat, it makes me sad. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of this movie is like that. But I do still have in my head every once in a while that like line. What is it? A Wesley Snipes type? Yeah. I don't know where that came from. I don't know how that got into my head, but that is stuck there. (laughs) Well, he's in the confessional and he's talking about um, 
uh, pairing up with a different partner. You're getting yeah. a Wesley Snipes type. Yeah. Somehow that stuck in my head all over over all this time. That that line when I heard it, I was like, "Oh my god, that's where that's from." That's <laughs> awesome. Wow. Yeah, I, I I agree that it's not a tremendously great movie. I think it's actually pretty terrible. Um, it's one of those things, you know, and a lot of people have criticized Robert De Niro for this, which is, you know, like making really bad career choices in a sense. Yes. I mean, I just heard I, I just heard uh, Kevin Smith talking about this on a podcast the other day, and it's like you got Rocky and Bullwinkle and everything and you know this was right around the same time and you know everyone's like what happened robert de niro how come you're not doing things like taxi driver and raging bull still and you know kevin smith's point which i think is completely valid is he's like maybe he thought it would be fun you know why not it's like you're you've been around forever why not try a little comedy you know I mean, he just had success with like Analyze This and everything like that, which was a, a pretty good movie, I'd say. It was funny at the very least. Yeah, yeah. So why not try something like Showtime? You know, someone's like, here, want to work with Eddie Murphy? Why not do a comedy with Eddie Murphy? I do think it was, I, th I do think at this point in his career, he makes, he makes decisions based on what he'll be doing, where he'll be doing it, and who he'll be with. I don't think that he thinks about like, like I assume that he still makes decisions like I want to be in a great film, but for the most part, I think he's like, um, yeah, I like Seattle, and oh, Billy Crystal, that'd be fun. Like that, I think is is his thought process most of the time. He wants to hang out with fun people in fun places, doing fun things. Yeah, and and you know, it, it's also like unlike say Rocky and Bullwinkle, where you just look at that on the surface and think like, this may seem like it's going to be not the best idea in the world. I mean, this one, it had, you know, some decent pedigree, you know, with Eddie Murphy and everything. And also, um, I mean, take this as you will, but it was written by um, Gao and Millar, the guys who created, like, Smallville and stuff. So I don't know what that means. But, you know, hey, they were hot at the time, right? Yeah. It, I mean, the thing is, the concept is, you know, it's an okay concept, and there are certain scenes that work okay. Um, and of course, the Shatner scene is great, but like it real the whole movie very much feels like there was a lot of uh, studio intercession or maybe stars, you know, bringing their firepower behind, you know, what they wanted their character to do or be. And I really think that that led to like it. It can't decide at certain points between being an action movie and being it's almost like Beverly Hills Cop if somebody had meddled with it. Uh, you know. See to to me that is like you're you're describing what I thought this movie was when I saw it, which was like I forgot what I saw at the beginning of the movie and I forgot who had directed it and like a year went by and I was like, That's that's by Brett Ratner, right? Yeah. Brett Ratner makes bad movies in that particular way. Yeah. He makes that kind of bad movie. That's gotta be one of his But he no. does it with much more skill. Not really. Not really, man. I mean, he's got more visual style and all that stuff. I think that Brett Ratner is actually a good director who just gets a lot of really crappy scripts. That's my feeling on him. But really, yes, 
I still can't forgive him about X Men Three. That was that was his fault. But that's that's not his fault though. That's that's a movie where he came in at the last minute to mop things up. He didn't have a chance. Let's to not it. defend Brett okay. Ratner in the William Shatner <laughs> expanded universe episode because it's important that people stop defending Brett Ratner. <laughs> Fair and enough. I mean that physically against physical threats. <laughs> Fair enough for now, but. Um, one one little interesting thing about this movie, which uh, wasn't relevant until now, if it's relevant at all, is Renee Russo and her character in this movie and uh, sort of the role that she plays. Have you guys seen Nightcrawler? No, I haven't seen that yet. It's pretty good, whatever. But she essentially plays the same character that she does here in Showtime. She's a a news director in that movie who, you know, is is fighting for her job and everything like that and decides that, you know, the way to get ratings is to basically get violent crime on on your TV screens. And so she employs various night crawlers, as they're called, to go around and find, you know, uh, fires or car accidents or whatever and videotape them so that she has something to put on the air. Not a far stretch from the character that she's playing here. You could say that, you know, I mean, you could give that character the same name as this character and say that this takes place in the Russo cinematic universe. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, that's a fair argument. Yeah, that ju- that really does just sound like her character advanced by wh- whatever it's been now, 20 years or whatever, 15 years, who knows. It's it's weird. It's just a little weird comparison, you know, because that's like her big thing now. You know, she's in that movie and she's really cool in it. And I just thought that was an interesting parallel. But, okay. So, so we're all in agreement that this movie is not very good, right? Correct. It's definitely not very good. Yes. Aside from William Shatner's performance. Not just his performance, but the role of his character in the movie actually briefly makes the whole movie better. Yes. Yes. Yeah. He's in one scene, essentially, or one extended montage kind of thing. Not really montage, but one extended sequence. It's kind of a fun and games montage. Right. It only it only lasts about five minutes. It's consecutive, um, aside from the his, his stuff in the credits. Uh, but it really does sort of make the movie worth watching. And I'm not just saying this because I love William Shatner. Like, looking at it now, like, when I was watching it last night... Mike, we just talked about the Starburst, the Shrine, the poster. Nobody's going to believe anything you say about the real reason why it makes the movie worth watching. (laughs) That's perfectly fine. uh, Maybe I should let one of you handle it. But let me just say that when I was watching it last night even, I was like, okay, okay, this movie's not working. I'm bored. I'm I'm on flick chart. I'm just, you know, messing around while I have this playing almost in the background. And then when William Shatner came on screen, I was just like riveted and just like almost like I want to own this movie just for those five minutes because his performance in that sequence is so above everything else in the movie. I mean, it's one of his best performances ever. He's so good. He's finally hit that stride, that comedic stride. He is so good in this movie. Uh, but don't don't take my word from it because apparently I, I can't be trusted when it comes to William Shatner. It's perfectly valid. John, what did you think about it? 
Are you sure I can be trusted considering my defense of Star Trek V that happened recently? You know. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, he is. He, he, it, it's, real, it's one of those things where he comes on and he's, he really is electric. He, is, he breathes so much life into you know, the, the sequence that he's in. You know, when he's doing, you know, showing how to do the hammy TJ Hooker acting. And, you know, even kudos to him because I thought about this while watching it. He demonstrates how to kick a door open and roll over his shoulder to come up. And I'm thinking, wow, this is 2002 William Shatner. And he's still, yeah, good for him. You know, he's in good enough shape to do that. Good for him, man. Yeah, he was like 72 or something like that. And he literally did his own stuff. I mean, you can totally tell it's him. And he does like a little, you know, almost barrel roll. Yeah. even more complicated than that you know because it's like yeah. a shoulder roll as after he bursts through a door yeah and and he does the whole slide off the hood of the car thing which is pretty darn funny um and it, i wish there was more of him in the movie i really do it really seems like a missed opportunity not to have more. and when you see him in the cutout uh scenes in the credits like you're laughing during those too and, and that's like improv stuff basically right yeah the yeah. thing, the thing that really works for me in in his sequences are, are him. I mean, it is kind of meta in a lot of ways. I mean, for one thing, he's playing himself, and it it takes on it, it's sort of an interesting thing which we can talk about in a little bit. You know, where he's not playing the guy who played Captain Kirk; he's playing the guy who played T.J. Hooker, yes. which is a really weird pull, especially for two thousand and two. But then. What he, he's doing is, you know, he's showing Robert De Niro and Eddie Murphy, but, okay, Robert De Niro, yeah. how to act. Yeah. William Shatner is teaching Robert De Niro how to act. That's insanely awesome. And I love it on so many levels because, for one thing, here's William Shatner going head-to-head with Robert De Niro, you know? totally stealing the scene totally stealing the movie from robert de niro and he's the whole time he's teaching him how to act that's just i i I, it's just i i i i I just don't know you know this is too awesome yeah i agree and the stuff that he's doing is very shatner he's basically teaching robert de niro how to act like william shatner that's amazing and it's it's the moments, the the looks in his eyes, the the little beats. It's so perfect. I just I don't I can't articulate it. It's so great. Max, can you articulate it? Can you explain why this scene is so great? Sure, because because the the idea is that that these guys are not particularly dynamic on camera. Neither one of them is a particularly good presence, and and essentially they tap. William Shatner for primarily for his ability to to take that small screen and make it appear bigger to to take the presence and make it bold and 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 penetrate through the wall of disinterest that people have watching television and essentially to to circumvent the problem of people seeing too much of this sort of thing too much on the road and too many cop reality shows and that sort of thing by having him in there, the idea is inject some meta into the reality, and while doing that, they are doing the exact opposite thing in the actual movie itself. 
So the movie is actually kind of making two jokes at the same time. The one is William Shatner's bizarre acting is not normal human behavior. And at the same time, normal human behavior is not normal human behavior anywhere anymore. Because we have done this thing right now. We have changed the dynamic. We have inverted the reality entirely. And now, where is the fiction anymore? Who is the fictional character in this? It might actually be William Shatner. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's pretty man, cool. That, that, that's trippy. That's a, that's a really trippy way to take it, man. I like that. So how does this fit into the Shatner cinematic universe or does it fit into the Shatner cinematic universe? I have some very strong opinions about this. Uh, but, but Max, what, what do you think? Um, I like any continuity, like any franchise, you know, there's a range of things within it. Um, like for the time being, the Marvel cinematic universe doesn't really have an example of this, but star Wars does. Um, and, and if this, if we map this onto the Star Wars franchise, Showtime is to the William Shatner cinematic universe, the Ewok adventure. Okay. <laughs> Which one? The first one. The first one? Okay. All right. Just want to make sure. So Caravan of Courage, not Battle for Endor. Right. Battle okay. for Endor is slightly gotcha. better. No. Yes, yeah. it is. It's substantially better, even though not it's substantially. <laughs> it's all relative. <laughs> no, it's 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 more stupid but less boring. So, <laughs> so anyway, okay. So, uh, how how is that so? Well, um, for one thing, it doesn't really have a, like a like a good through line to anything else. It doesn't really connect up. Part of the problem is like sort of the departure from the the Captain Kirk connection. Um, that makes it sort of a weird outlier. Um, by divorcing it from that, it sets it apart in a very interesting way. But it also means that it's kind of difficult to incorporate into a, a sort of structured analysis of it all. Okay, now, now, John, what do you think about this? How does this fit in with the other movies we've seen thus far? I, you know, I, it fits in, I guess you could say, with uh, Festival in Cannes because, uh, you know, he, he's in Cannes you know, promoting stuff and trying to get work as a director. But also, you know, you work it into the, the free enterprise thing, you see sort of the crazy Shatner starting, that, that crazy caricature of himself starting to come out in this movie. And... You know, so you can work it in that way if you really want to fit this all into a, a cinematic universe. This is this is that slightly zany Shatner, that more than reality Shatner happening, and that you get even more of in, uh, you know, in Free Enterprise. Yeah, you know, I really see this as as um, really a big piece in the puzzle of the Shatner cinematic universe because, to me, it it really builds on on what came before. And expands it, and it really sort of like opens up the mythology in in a lot of weird ways, and in, in ways that you know, like uh, a lot of the the Marvel movies have done. You know, I'm actually doing a thing right now with like my parents and my aunts and uncles, where I'm showing them 
all of the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies in order and sort of watching it from that perspective of people who don't know anything about what's coming next or anything like that. And you can see all the pieces sort of like fitting into place and building and everything. And that's really what I see happening here. For one thing, you know, in, in Free Enterprise, he's setting up the whole thing with the musical version of Julius Caesar and everything like that. And he really wants to direct that. Well, here we're seeing him as a director, like you were saying, on this uh, cop show or, or for this commercial at the very least. But I also love how, you know, like you were saying, Max, it doesn't uh, build on his Captain Kirk persona. It builds on his TJ Hooker persona. And it's opening it up to more things and saying that Shatner is not just Kirk. He's many things to many people, something which is touched on in Free Enterprise, uh, like with his, uh, his, his fellow rappers, um, they, they see him as TJ Hooker, not as, as, you know, Captain Kirk. But, you know, this is much more sort of on the nose in that sense. But I also feel like as a performer, he is sort of building on the persona which he established in Free Enterprise. You know, he is, unlike, unlike Festival in Cannes, where we were talking about last week, where he's is just himself caught on camera unknowingly in in this movie he's playing that character from free enterprise and who knows what else which is you know william shatner not william shatner but william shatner and that's really cool to me and uh yeah that i mean that scene makes i'm i'm so happy that this movie exists just for that one scene and his stuff in the end credits is pretty awesome too it is i can also say that as much as we might uh tear down uh showtime it is still one hell of a lot better than festival and can I'm, I'm just gonna go out there because if i have the opportunity to knock that movie down just one peg i will i i, I would disagree with that actually i think festival and can is more interesting no, but no no it's not well, whatever. I mean, I'm not going to like go out of my way to defend Festival of Cannes <laughs> that much, but you know, Showtime is really pretty boring. But you know, but there's a there's a shootout with sci-fi guns in Showtime. This is true. true. There is. Does do they have a shootout with sci-fi guns in Festival in Cannes? Just say yes. Nobody will look. Nobody check. Oh yeah, there's totally that. Yeah, so, I mean, it, it, it is an even comparison. I think that's fair. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting piece of the puzzle, and uh, I'm, I'm glad that it exists. So, so John, any uh, final thoughts on, on Showtime? Yeah, I would say um, don't watch it, but uh, see if you can find Shatner's uh, sequence and uh, watch that. What about you, Max? No, that's good. I wouldn't have thought of that, but that makes sense. It's a good idea. Yeah, I would say if you need to watch it in order to to see that sequence, it's worth it. Otherwise, yeah, it is a pretty bad movie. Although, you know, seeing that sequence in context, I think helps. Uh, so, so perhaps that's. Yeah, in order to in order to properly contextualize those five minutes, you need to watch an hour and a half of Eddie Murphy and Robert De Niro interacting poorly. I mean, but that's part of it, you know? It's like you've got Eddie Murphy and Robert De Niro, and you look at that on paper, and you're like, that's a great pairing. And then, you know, you say, like, well, William Shatner's in it, too, and that scene with William Shatner is way better than anything that either of those guys are doing throughout the rest of the movie. 
So, you know, I mean, honestly, a rental isn't that expensive and you can always second screen it and do something else when Shatner's not on screen and like still take in everything that's happening. So, you know, eh, you know, it's a, maybe there's a snowy day. Maybe you're trapped in Boston. You know, just go ahead and rent it. And there you go. Or the other thing, 90 minutes long, right? 90 divided by five is 18. Is it? Hold on. Let me get a calculator. Let me make sure that you're right about that. <laughs> I'm just saying you could watch the uh, Shatner scene 18 times and, you know, very easily get your $4 worth. So that's true. Well, or three to actually three dollars worth because you could just go standard definition like an animal. No, but, no, you know. no. You need to you need to see Shatner in his full HD glory. <laughs> Fair point. All right. Well, yes. I I, I I don't know. I would say yeah. Watch it because why not? It's it's awesome. Just for that that one sequence. All right. Well, it's been fun talking about Showtime this week, but that's not all that we're talking about here on Trek FM. So uh, here's a look at what you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. This episode isn't very good, but... (laughs) Are we just going to pin all of our (laughs) choices? You pretty much have to. But the thing about this episode, which we talked about a couple weeks ago, I think, is it's a crazy idea. Earl Grey. Picard, can you construct a, a rudimentary lathe? Go for its weak spot. <laughs> it's an energy being. It doesn't have a vulnerable spot. <laughs> Get off the line before it. The orb. Or we could just blame it on Janeway somehow, you know, that she it's scared fault, the yeah. Borg into the Gamma Quadrant because they were tired of dealing with her in the Delta Quadrant. I don't know. To the journey! Because this is the dangers, by the way, kids, of having uh, babies in the 24th century. Because if Kathy's first word was coffee and she was standing next to the replicator, the next thing you know, you have a hyped up two-year-old. The ready room. Well, it's kind of like, you know, you've got your lucky shirt when you're watching a football game and your team won when you were wearing it. So now you have to wear it every time. That's also the Enterprise insignia. That's the insignia of the only ship whose crew didn't die. Yeah. So Just wear course. it on the right color shirt. That's all. That's you know. right. Commentary, Trek stars. And then he turns to her and he says, who, who is that man that I was just hugging? And she says, that was William Shatner. And he's like, who? Literary Treks. Well, you know, I'm, I'm really a, a fan of a lot of, you know, different kinds of you know, naval fiction. Uh, you know, I, I, C.S. Forrester, Horatio Hornblower, those novels. So uh, good. Yeah, Patrick O'Brien, uh, you know, the, the Master and Commander books. Uh, you know, these are all things which sort of put me into the right mindset. The 602 Club. So when we come kind of to the story here, and especially off of doing literary treks where we talk about Michael Pillar's book, Fade In, kind yeah. of got behind the scenes of, of insurrection and really seeing how the that story changed. To me, it really just exemplified the importance of story in a movie. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out these shows to get in on the daily Trek talk. You'll find them on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, the Windows podcast directory for Xbox and Zune, or you can stream them from the website. Just visit trek.fm slash pd for podcast directory to get all the links.
Are you sure about that? Oh, no, I guess. Well, you'll find it. You'll find it. You'll find it? Go to Track FM. You'll find you'll it. You'll find it. It's on there, guys. Don't worry about it. Just just type in Track FM spaces, slashes, doesn't matter. You'll get there. Before we go, we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor who helps us bring commentary, Trek Stars, to you each week. And our sponsor for this show is Audible.com. Audible is a great way for you to read all of the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have time for. Audible is the premier source for audiobooks with more than 150,000 titles to choose from and new titles coming every week, from classics to current bestsellers and even some of the most famous Star Trek books like Prime Directive and Federation. Audible has something for everyone. It even has Star Trek Memories, which is written and narrated by William Shatner. Uh, the description on the Audible on Audible says, Boldly going where no audio has gone before, Star Trek Memories is William Shatner's own behind-the-scenes look at the legendary 60s television series that continues to spawn movies, books, and series spinoffs 26 years or so after the last episode aired. Avid Trekkers are sure to be delighted with the first-hand account from Captain Kirk himself. And you can get this book for free since you listen to Trek FM. As a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial to see just how great Audible is. So give it a try today. Catch up on all those classic Star Trek books you've yet to read and that latest novel from your favorite author as well. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And we thank Audible for supporting Commentary, Trek Stars, and Trek FM. And lastly, there's one more way you can directly help us keep commentary, Trek Stars, coming to you each week, and that's by becoming a patron of Trek FM on Patreon.com. Just go to Patreon.com slash Trek FM, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Trek FM, and you can help us out with a donation, uh, like you could just do $1 a month, and that would be awesome, you know? But any amount would help us out greatly and would be greatly appreciated. Just go to patreon.com slash trekfm and uh, help us out. All right. Well, John, where can people find you on the internet? Castle Junkie on Twitter and also on uh, Words with Nerds, a uh, podcast with my buddy Craig. As always, you can find me right here on Trek FM doing Standard Orbit with Drew, or you can find me along with Max doing commentary track stars off topic with our friend Brandon. Or in, in this week's case, John is on it, where we uh, debate the merits of Count Dooku and Anakin Skywalker fighting each other on the Clone Wars. Very spirited debate. Yeah. Uh, so so head on over to commentarytrackstars.com to check that out now. Yeah, John and Mike battle it out over who's right about the events that take place in the Star Wars prequels and the spin-off animated series Clone Wars regarding specifically the, the relationship between Anakin, Obi-Wan, and Count Dooku and whether or not the... And you'll see who won the argument about this important thing. Yes, exactly. Um, you can also find us all on Twitter at ComTrackStars, or you can email us all at ComTrackStars at gmail.com. 
or you can help us out by sending us a review on iTunes, or you can also find me on Twitter at Bumbles3K. So that's it for Showtime. Next week, we will be back with the fourth movie in the Shatner Cinematic Universe, Dodgeball, a true underdog story. 